And what I want to do this morning, I want to take our study from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and following, and look at the need of the assembly. Why is it that we gather together and we come together in the church? And so that brings up one very important question. Why is church so boring? All right, I did a search on that this week, and I had to put the word so in there too. Uh, just to stress it, why is church so boring? Church can be boring. And uh, it was interesting the things that popped up on Google because things that came up, one of them was a charismatic site that said, what we need is more prophetic word being spoken and more tongue speaking and things like that. And I thought, uh, I, no, and I don't see that in 1 Corinthians 14. I do see the need for edification and being uh, edifying in the assembly. So I go through there, and a lot of them, you had some of them that gave a list of things that churches could do to make the assembly more engaging, and what areas to work on, and you know, you could do this with the announcements, and do this with the singing, and so forth. Um, and then there, there are other things that came along with it, too. So you start thinking about, why is church so boring? And then you get, sometimes it's, the church needs to change in the leadership. And I think that's half of it, sometimes, that if, if church is boring, but the other half is us. You know, what am I putting into it? Am I paying attention to the songs? Do I mean the words that I'm singing? Is it coming? Is my mind behind it? Uh, another thing is, is when you're, you're in the congregation and in, in church and you're there in, to worship and to stir one another to love and good works, you do have a responsibility yourself to, to make sure that you're doing that, that I'm singing, that I'm reading scripture. And, and when I don't understand something, that I, maybe I need to take a time to myself to reflect upon God and reflect upon Christ. And I've often said this, that if you ever get lost during one of my sermons, open your Bible and start reading, okay? Don't fall asleep on me. I'm watching you. I can see what you're doing, all right? Um, so I, I looked at that question, why church is so boring? It's kind of an interesting thing. And then sometimes I see this sign when I drop by churches. You ever seen this before? What's missing from church? And now I filled in, you are. But, you know, it would just leave out the middle of the word church. So what's missing? You are. And so, again, that's just kind of the idea there. One of the other questions that comes up when it comes to church is, what is missing? You know, what is missing? And when I go to the Scriptures, I see some things that, you know, you could do here and here to make improvements. And a lot of times it's going to come to us personally, uh, what is missing from church. Um, my engagement, my mind, my heart, and what I'm thinking. All right, so we're going to do uh, an exposition now. We're going to draw out from the text of Hebrews chapter 10. So I ask you, get your Bible out, and we'll go to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 19 through 25. I'm going to draw some observations from it. Now, I'm going to go on and tell you ahead of time, we're going to read this, but there's another half to this that we're going to read after it. And the first half is meant to be encouraging and heartfelt, and you need to be active and participating in the church. And then the second half of it is a warning. And I'll leave it at that. When we get there, you'll understand why I'm just making that statement as far as the warning. All right, so Hebrews chapter 10, let's look at verses 19 and down to verse 25. And so we have these words here, Paul, uh, Paul, I'm assuming Paul is the writer here, but the writer of the author of Hebrews is expressing himself to these Christians 
to put these things together and to see how God has blessed us, how He has forgiven us of our sins, how we have access. And so one of the things that I also think about when I think about what's missing from church is we want to be engaged. And a lot of times when we come to church and we come to the assembly, we want to draw near to God. And that's a part of this text. And so the text here is going to teach us and present to us that this is a time to draw near to God. I want to draw near to Him. I want to be close to Him. And if you're a Christian, I hope that you have that feeling. I want that. I love the idea of being closer to my Creator and to Christ. So verse 19 says this, And therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. So let's just stop for a minute and give some meaning to that. What is he saying? He's saying, here's Jesus. He's the high priest. And if you read Hebrews, you know what he's talking about. Christ according to the order of Melchizedek. He has come before God. He has made the sacrifice of his blood as a high priest himself as a sacrifice once for all time if, if you read the beginning of this chapter. And then he says he has entered in the holy places. And that is into the presence of God through his flesh. And you remember when Jesus died on the cross that the the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Okay, you read that in the Gospels. And so what we have here is that curtain here is Christ's flesh. In other words, when He died, He left and His Spirit entered into the presence of God. And so this is what the writer is using, the author is saying, we have a new and living way. We have a way to come into the presence of God and into His house. And last week we studied about how the church is God's house and His temple. Look at verse 21. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we can approach God. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true, true heart, a truthful heart, an honest heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And again, as you think about this, you're like, what does he mean sprinkled clean? And again, in the Old Testament, you've got the sprinkling of the blood that made atonement in the Day of Atonement. You've got the washing of which the priests would wash before they could enter into the sanctuary of the temple. And here the picture is given to us as Christians that by the blood of Christ, we've been sprinkled clean of all of our sins. That we don't have to keep thinking about those things past things. We can now draw near to God and that our bodies have been washed with water. And I take that as a reference to baptism. All right, keep reading with me, 23 to 25. His conclusion is this. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Don't, be, don't fall away. Don't be discouraged. Listen to verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, or not neglecting or forsaking the assembly, as is the habit or the custom of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So these passages here are to encourage us as Christians that we see this. I can approach God with confidence. And a part of our Scripture reading this morning was Hebrews chapter 4. Here we have Jesus giving us the confidence, the ability to approach God. Someone who has come into the flesh. God has come into the flesh. He knows what it's like to have the weaknesses in our flesh and in our body. He knows what it's like to be tempted. And He has overcome those things for us. He has taken our sins on Him so that we can approach God. So this is what we see if you're taking notes and you're following along in the bulletin. So Christians have confidence for entrance into the holy places by the blood of Christ 
and through his flesh because he is the high priest of God's house. Giving us a summary there. So a question to follow that up with is, do we have confidence to draw near to God? I hope that we do. If, if you're coming into the assembly and you don't have that confidence, no, you're, you're going to be missing out. No, you're not going to feel like you're drawing near to God because in the back of your mind you've got certain sins and temptations that you're constantly struggling with and things that you're not willing to put aside, that you're not willing to accept what God has given to you through Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you this morning, do that. Trust in Christ. Turn to Him in faith. Confess that faith that He is the Lord that rose from the dead. And put to death the old person and rise up from baptism. Draw near to God. Draw near and be close to Him. You've got access through Christ. Another thing we see here in this text is, is that the faithful can draw near to God with a true heart or an honest heart. And I love that. That our faith is sincere. That our heart has been cleansed from sin. That when you know Christ and you understand who He is, you live in a different way, an authentic way, with full assurance because Christ has cleansed our hearts from an evil conscience, and again, He has washed our bodies with pure water. So the question again is, as I'm reading that passage, is, has my heart changed? Is my heart right? Can I draw near to God? And I know that Christ has done it for me. That He's died on my behalf. And His death has made a change upon my heart. And I know that because He's died for me, and I believe that He resurrected from the dead, that I want Him to wash away all my sins. And that takes place when I'm baptized in His name. And so we have that picture here, this beautiful picture to encourage us that there is a new and living way, and it is through this with an honest heart we can approach God. And so we get down to these, these um, last three passages. And we see that the faithful have an assurance, a confession of hope. And if you read the book of Hebrews, there's some words that keep repeating themselves. We've got a better system. Everything's better in the New Covenant. We also have this. We have a confession. A confession is emphasized throughout the text that you hold to your confession. And these Christians in the book of Hebrews uh, and their Jewish background are being persecuted. And they're having this appeal to go back to the law, to go back to that life, to go back to uh, the, the old way of living. Whether then, then to stay faithful to Christ. And uphold that confession of hope. And I think a lot of Christians are lacking this. They don't have a hope for eternal life. They don't look forward to it. They don't have a hope for the idea that one day Christ is going to come back and we will resurrect from the dead. And they don't like that idea. Or I guess they don't understand it. The idea of having a glorified body. And, and I can't fully understand that myself. Why somebody would not be just fascinated with the salvation that Christ has given us. But because Christ has given us these things and He has promised and He is faithful and He's reliable and He's true and we know His character. All right. So when I read the Bible, and I remember as a kid, I'd ask myself, why can I trust the Bible and why can I trust God? And it ultimately came back to this. I believe Jesus and I read His words and I see His life and I see Him as authentic and true. And I trust Him. I remember as a kid, I did the same thing with my grandfather. I said, I know my grandfather and I love him and I see his faith. Why is it that he's the way that he is, that he's loving the way that he is? And I saw it's because of the influence of Jesus Christ in his life. And I thought, I want to be like my grandfather. And then my attention came to Christ. I said, no, I want to, I want to even more so be like Jesus. And I trust in him. I put my hope in him and I put my confession of hope on him. And I know and I have every confidence not to ever compromise that or to give it up. 
And then we have these other passages here. So one of the signs that's apparent when someone falls away from Christ is they stop assembling. They make it a custom and habit not to be a part of the church. They're not looking to draw near to God anymore. And they're not there to stir others to love and good works. We see those signs and they should be apparent to us. And to the elders here, we need to be aware of that. Of those who have drifted away and who are not here in the assembly. That we don't just let the sheep wander away. That we act as good shepherds. That we look out for them. So the faithful must stir one another to love and good works. That's a part of the assembly. And I know sometimes we talk about when we come together, the main purpose is for worship, and that's part of it. It's a part of worship, and it's a part of communing and drawing near to God. But it's also that we edify one another. 1 Corinthians 14 is all about the assembly and tells us we are to build one another up in God's Word. And here we have that we are to stir one another up to love and good works, and that Christians must not forsake. We must not leave it behind, and we must not abandon the assembly. I use the word assembly here. I know if you're using English standard, it says to meet together. The Greek doesn't say, it doesn't give an infinitive there, okay? It's not a verbal. And it's not a participle. It's a noun. And it has an article in front of it. And when it says the assembly, that's literally what it says in Greek. It's like, this is the time, that time when you come together as Christians. This is what we read about in Acts 20 verse 7. They came together for the breaking of the bread. They came together for communion and Lord's Supper for the assembly. He says, you don't forsake that. Instead, he says, encourage one another while you look for the day of the Lord. So when we ask that question and we think, you know, we ask that question, you can type it in the search engine, why is church boring? And, you know, first we look at ourselves. And then we want to look again to the Scriptures and make sure that the congregation that we're a part of is doing those things that are encouraging to others and uplifting to others. And we see why do Christians assemble. And it's more than worship. And it is for communion. It is to draw near to God. And it is, to again, to stir one another to love and good works. This is the new and the living way. And this is that, that picture. So when I, I read this here in Hebrews 10, the message seems very clear. I've got all these blessings from Christ and I have salvation. I want to be a part of the church of which He has given. Which, as Christ said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And Christ intended that and He built His church and He's given it to us. He's given us a church family for a reason. And it does not need to be neglected. So what is the problem with not going to church when I get nothing out of it? Okay, that's another question that a lot of people ask. If I don't get anything out of it, you know, I think about God and I can go and I can reflect upon the mountains or I'm out fishing or I'm on the golf course and I can think about God or when I'm with family. And a lot of people reason in that way and sometimes they use that as a reason like I don't need the assembly or I don't need the, the church body. And what we're saying is again, when we're doing that, we're dismissing the words of Christ. And the book of Hebrews is a constant warning. All right, So I'm going to get the warning part of it. We got the encouragement there, but there's a warning on this throughout this book. In Hebrews 6, we see this. He talks about those who have been led away, who have been drawn away from Christ. He says, For it is impossible in the case of those who were once enlightened. And notice this description of the hope. They tasted of it. They tasted the heavenly gift. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age have come. But then, that person has fallen away. 
And he says, for them it is impossible to restore them again to repentance. And that's between them and God now. And it appears that we can't do anything. And it says here that what they've done here and turning away from Christ is, it says, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God. Can you imagine that? I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to say I've turned away from God and Christ and to have that placed upon me that I've crucified again Christ, the Son of God. And it says to their own harm and holding them up to contempt. Can you imagine that? Having contempt for Christ and what He's done for us? His sacrifice, His death. And so that is emphasized here in the passage, and it's connected with the assembly. I'm going to get to that in a minute. I'll have to get this question too. If I don't go to church, you know, am I going to go to hell? Or is this a heaven and hell situation? And I can give you the short answer to that. But the, the right answer is, is the consequences are devastating. When you're not among other Christians, when you're not assembling, when you're not partaking of the communion, when you're not a part of, of that communion of the, the blood and the body of Christ that we read about there in Hebrews chapter 10, you, you've separated yourself from, from more than just people. You're distancing yourself from God and from the body of Christ. So this is what we read right after it says that we're not to forsake the assembly. I want you to read this, this warning here. Hebrews 10, 26-27 says, If we go on sinning deliberately or willfully, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now from my reading the book of Hebrews, he's not specifically talking about being that, that abandoning the assembly is the only cause. He's saying abandoning the assembly appears to be a part of willfully sinning. And giving one's life back over to sin from the sin that you have already been saved from. He says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Well, that's devastating. And this, again, this is the verse right after it says, do not forsake the assembly. And he says, if you go on deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins. What is there left? He says, but there's a fearful expectation of judgment. And the message here is that you need the assembly. You need the church. You need to gather together. You need to study the Bible. You need to be with other Christians. A friend of mine who has just got his PhD wrote his, his uh, thesis on the fact that it says not to forsake the assembly. The word for the assembly there, he says, I see it being the gathering of the Christians. He says, because that's implied in the word. But a part of that word, that, the Greek word is episunagoge, and it means like the epic synagogue, okay, of Christians. And synagogue means coming together. And so they came together, and he's saying it means more than just the assembly, but the activities of the church. In other words, that we're all a part of the community, that we're active and participating in the body of Christ. And when we don't do that, this is the consequences. Uh, we, we go off into sin. There's no more sacrifice of sin, uh, of, for sins. Uh, there's a fearful expectation and judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. The consequences are like we, we, we just read in Hebrews 6. So Hebrews 10, 28 and following says this, anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. You remember that? That's in uh, Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15, that someone who commits murder, they're found in the court guilty by two or more witnesses. He says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? One who has trampled underfoot the Son of God. 
So he's saying the consequences here of not being involved, of not being a part of the community, of not being a faithful Christian, is that what we do and how we, we hold Jesus in contempt and what He did on the cross. It's as though we're trampling the Son of God underfoot. He has profaned the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified. We've been made holy in God's covenant. And we're just tossing it aside. And He is outraged. He's insulted the Spirit of grace. Those are strong words. You know, Paul goes from encouragement and he's like, I'm giving you a warning here. You need to be drawing near to God. You need to be stirring one another loving good works. You need to be in the assembly. And if you go on deliberately sinning, you're trampling the Son of God underfoot. You're counting it as though it's not worth anything. And then verses 30 and 31 say, And we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so the writer is warning. He says, don't go that way. Make it a habit to be a part of the assembly. So what happens to me when I make it a habit to forsake the assembly? This is what seems to be stressed throughout the book of Hebrews. This abandonment of the church. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. This is what I shared with you last week when we were looking at the need for the church. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You know, and someone might say, Well, listen, I have struggles with, you know, coming to church and being faithful, but I still believe. And I'm not, I'm not a disbeliever. And, and I understand that some people have a struggle with that and making it a priority in their life. But there is a warning here in Scripture that there's a sign that if I make it a habit that I'm not a part of the church and not active, that I'm falling away. That I'm going down the slope. That I'm moving away from Christ. He says, but I want you to do this. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you be, be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, we need one another. We need to encourage one another. And we need the church. We need our brothers and sisters around us to help us. I'm not going to read all this passage here, but in Romans 1, there's a picture here, and it talks about the individual who sees God's attributes in creation, sees his eternal power and his divine nature. See, everybody can clearly perceive, and they're without excuse for seeing that God exists and seeing who he is. And it says here in the passage, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. In other words, there's consequences when we don't revere Christ, when we don't worship God, when we don't draw near to Him. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, and they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. As I read through these passages in Romans and Hebrews, I want no part of this. I want no part of it. As we think about these things this morning, um, you think about the examples you have around us. I remember when I was in, in college and in my first year, freshman year, and I don't know if this is still true, but some of the universities, about half the freshmen will drop out, and then the next year, um, almost like a third of the sophomores will, will quit and drop out of school. And so you can see what happens there. Um, you know, they start missing a few classes, and they stop studying, and they miss a test, and they fail this, and everything just starts heading downhill, and they just give up. And they quit going. And as Christians, we have the ability this morning to listen to what the Bible says and to come back to Christ, to draw near to Him at any time, to have all of our sins washed away. 
And we don't need to be carrying that with us. We don't need to be carrying the guilt with us or anything or regret. All we need to do is listen to the Scriptures and come back to Him. So it's a very clear sign when someone forsakes the assembly, when they abandon church, that they are falling away from God. We want no part of it. I thought this morning to finish as a conclusion, this is Hebrews 10, 23 and 25, a part of our reading. Uh, This is my translation. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let's hold to that confession. For he has promised us, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider ourselves for the encouragement of love and good works, not leaving behind the assembly of ourselves, just as is the custom of some, but calling beside one another, and so much more as you see the day drawing near. We need to be beside each other. We need to encourage one another. This morning I encourage you, you need to make repentance and change in your life. Do that. Come to the Lord. We encourage you now as we give an invitation that if you haven't put on Christ in baptism, if you haven't had your body washed with pure water and your heart sprinkled clean with the blood of Christ, you can do that. You can draw near to God. You can be in His presence. You can recommit and devote yourself to Him and to His Word. We encourage you to do that. You need prayers and encouragement. We encourage you to come. Let's sing together.